Hey everyone, today's show is part two of a two-part series on how to prevent HR investigations. Today, I'm gonna to discuss what a good management training program looks like, discuss the methods of delivery, some key content, and general idea of training costs. So stay tuned, you won't wanna miss this one. Welcome to the HR Investigations Podcast, exploring the issues, challenges, strategies, and solutions. Sponsored by RPCHR and hosted by Natalie Ivey, an HR consultant, licensed PI, and author of the best-selling book, How to Conduct Internal Investigations, a Practical Guide for Human Resource Professionals. And now, here's Natalie. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. In my previous episode, I talked about the need for good management training as a sound risk management strategy for employers. In this episode, I'm gonna discuss what good management training actually looks like, the subject matter that should be in it, some suggestions on delivery, and give you some general ideas regarding cost. In my experience, there's a lot of management training out there. And in larger global organizations, of course, they have much more robust training budgets for uh, their own in-house uh, you know, universities, and they have their own trainers, and you know, essentially they have the budgets that can support that. However, in small to medium-sized organizations, you may not even have a dedicated department for training. So figuring out really how do you effectively train supervisors and managers, that usually falls onto HR. And in my experience also, a lot of HR professionals may have never really had any supervisory experience before. Uh, they've often come up through the ranks and organizations from administrative roles and individual contributor roles. Uh, so they may not even really know what is needed in a good management training program. You know, that old saying, you don't know what you don't know. So in this episode, let me shed some light on uh, what I hear is lacking and what I see is lacking uh, in most programs and then provide you with some best practices. All right. So what's lacking in most management training programs? In other words, it's not really helping you to reduce the risk of employee relations issues and HR investigations. So for starters, uh, I find a lot of them are really just lacking content on labor and employment laws. That's usually just glaring to me. And there really is no training at all on the fundamentals of how to enforce your organization's policies. And many, many managers really think that HR just puts these policies in here because that's just what HR does. They really and truly do not make the connection between certain policies like an equal employment opportunity policy and that that is aligned with federal laws like Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. There are so many of them that just truly are clueless about the labor and employment laws, yet every day they are making managerial decisions that could potentially implicate them. A few other examples. If your organization has something like, um, let's say, a timekeeping policy, managers may not have any idea why that policy is in there. Well, that policy should be in there, and it defines why employees have to clock in and clock out, clock in and out for breaks. It also defines what happens if an employee works overtime without authorization. You know, Managers are, again, often clueless about why these policies exist and also what they are supposed to do to enforce them. And so if uh, you're listening to this and you're thinking about what you're doing in your current organization, that's a really, really great place to start. Look over what you currently have as content in your management programs. And if you don't have a lot of what I just talked about, that's a big glaring hole. And you need to fill that because you're not giving your managers really what they need properly to develop them into a supervisory role. Now, additionally, um, what I find is lacking in most management training programs is a basic understanding of really what being in a leadership role means. 
Yes, of course, there are great leadership training programs out there. They often will discuss great leaders in history and they'll focus on like great leaders from World War II or, um, you know, really uh, wonderful people who have done philanthropic work or great uh, entrepreneurs and how they're influential, like, you know, think like an Elon Musk or uh, Richard Branson or, you know, Bill Gates, and, you know, and they're, they're, you know, that's great stuff. I mean, they're inspirational and uh, certainly they are influential people. They've really done great work. But often those are really good stories that, yes, it's nice to hear, but the manager will walk right out of some of those trainings and not have a clue how to deal with an employee conflict or not have a clue how to solve a problem with an employee that's got a performance issue. It teaches them nothing. What's typically lacking are real world scenarios, especially for the frontline to mid-level managers and especially those in more operational type of roles. Um, you know, like dealing with a poor performing employee who also happens to be a personal friend of the supervisor. They've been friends, let's say, for many years, worked as former peers. Now the supervisor got promoted over that friend and now there's a little friction. Tricky, right? Uh, or dealing with an employee who continually questions every decision the manager makes, um, maybe is very difficult, continually pushing back each time the supervisor gives her an assignment, essentially shifting into almost being insubordinate and complaining about her workload. You know, these are the real things that managers are dealing with every day, or they sit down and uh, are delivering a performance discussion, and then the employee is stating that the manager is bullying them or humiliating them. You know, managers are really thrown into a tailspin. They don't know quite how to react. Do you know, I, uh, I recently had an HR professional who shared with me that just as early as two weeks ago, the HR professional was sitting down and having a conversation with an employee that was dealing with a manager, had an employee relations issue uh, with the manager, and really was claiming that the supervisor was bullying. Well, it was an accountability discussion. The manager was talking with the employee about not meeting performance deadlines and like work deadlines. And even when the HR professional was kind of pressing the employee to talk about the deadlines, the employee really got very defensive and she wanted to call her mom. I kid not. It, she literally was like, I just, I need to call my mom. Okay, these are things that are going on today. This stuff was not necessarily happening 20 years ago. There are a lot of behaviors that are showing up with our workforce today. There are a lot more laws that managers have to contend with. And, and quite honestly, what has happened is the operating environment has just gotten a lot more complex. So I, I kind of relate this to software. Like uh, imagine today, if we were trying to run Windows 98, here we are in 2023. The operating environment is so much more complicated, the computing power that it takes, the uh, applications that we're running. You see what I mean? So obviously to keep up with the pace of changing technology and the way we work, we have to upgrade our systems. Yet so many times I find organizations are not giving the same type of developmental upgrades to their managers to be able to deal with these contemporary problems. And in my last podcast, I talked a lot about why it is the senior leaders just in business owners just don't want to invest in management training. And then I gave you some food for thought on, you know, how can you turn that around? So that's in part one. So if you haven't listened to that, go back one episode and that will fill the gaps on that and give you some suggestions. So in this podcast, I want to focus more on now, what does good management training look like? And what is the kind of training that's going to help you in slowing down the number of employee relations issues you're dealing with and help you to move the needle perhaps on some of your metrics, like slowing down turnover or unscheduled absenteeism? And you know, how do you slow down also the investigations into things like harassment or bullying or retaliation, right? What should it look like? 
So good management training is what really provides clear understanding of the leadership role and particularly the transition that takes place when someone is promoted. When you're an individual contributor, you are worried about your schedule, your task list, and what's really at your work desk or workbench or workstation. You really are only worried about you. When you move into a leadership role, you're worried about others. And you are the one that has to provide the clear direction, goals, objectives, tools, resources, communication. And you have to also manage problems, challenges, conflicts. You're the conduit of information from the upper level leadership, from your customers, your vendors, and you have to be continually communicating with your direct reports. That's a whole other set of competencies you see than just managing my task list. You know, it's one thing if you're in an admin role and you are a wizard with spreadsheets or you're a technician who turns a wrench to do a repair. Those are individual contributor roles where you only worry about your spreadsheet and your repair job. When you move up into a managerial role, you're overseeing others who are doing the spreadsheets and others that are turning the wrenches. And you have a whole other set of responsibilities, such as accomplishing organizational goals through this team of people. It's kind of like being a player on the field playing football and later moving into the role of coach. You could have been an awesome wide receiver, but you might really not be a very, very good coach. Perfect example of that. I, I love Michael Jordan. I love basketball. And my late husband played basketball. And I, I could tell you, Michael Jordan is to me one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game what happened when he later was moving into a role where he was no longer playing and he was trying to coach. He was such a superstar that he was not necessarily as good at the coaching role. There are a lot of transitions that happen from individual contributors into management. So a good leadership training program has to help to set clear expectations and give clear understanding of really what is the day-to-day -day going to be like when you are a supervisor and manager of others. And a common problem today is the managing of former peers. As I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of leaders that get promoted from within and they really struggle with handling the flack that they get from their former peer groups. The, oh yeah, she thinks she's all that now that she got into management. And, you know, and a lot of supervisors, especially those frontline supervisors, they really really have a lot of stress and anxiety just trying to balance those relationships. So you've got to have a good management program that teaches them the nuances of how to navigate that. So good management training for frontline and mid-level leaders. And notice I'm focusing on that here. This, this is really not where I'm talking about senior leadership. That's a whole other level. I'm talking about what really drives your frequent complaints from employees, your employee relations issues and investigations. That's usually being driven from the frontline and mid-level in management. It's a, not that it doesn't happen at the senior levels, but those are generally going to be the much more serious cases like conflict of interest or more serious sexual harassment cases. Um, you know, And that's not really where I see the majority of the flow of cases rolling into HR or employee relations. So that's why I'm focusing on those levels. So frontline and mid-level leaders, they need to know how to just manage things like conflict. They have to know how to manage change effectively and adapt to change, how to set goals and objectives. They have to know how to give clear direction and delegate. They have to know how to develop others. They have to be able to act decisively. And how do they do that? They have to think strategically. They have to know how to properly provide recognition and provide coaching and feedback. How do they memorialize discussions and document? How do they handle employee performance and things like delivering uh, performance reviews? 
or have critical conversations with an employee that is maybe falling behind, how to handle a behavioral issue with an employee who is violating your code of conduct, how to handle disciplinary action, and how to have a sit down with an employee that you are issuing a disciplinary warning or letter of reprimand to, how to handle the termination of employment and do it safely. You, you see what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of stuff here. And again, a lot of management training programs are really falling short on that. So how do we convince the leaders above us that we should invest in management training? Well, in my previous episode, I discussed management training as a form of risk management. And that's the first place I would start if you need to get training for your team. I would start calculating the number of employee relations issues your team is handling over the last year. How much time has that taken? Did any of these turn into EEOC charges? Did you have to settle any of them? How much did it cost? Uh, have you had any Department of Labor inquiries? Have you had to settle any Department of Labor investigations? Uh, have you had any litigation? If so, how much did it cost? How much turnover have you had? How much is that costing you? What are the reasons that employees are giving for quitting? Are you having a lot of unscheduled absenteeism? How much is that costing you? A lot of intermittent FMLA for those of you that are over 50 employees. right? Uh, have you had several uh, ex-employees or current employees take to social media uh, to go out and bash your company and just post to you know various boards uh, where they're frustrated about management of your company. Okay. Uh, if you have that going on, that's definitely giving you a black eye in, in cyberspace. Um, you may have potential new hires that might have considered applying for an open position you have, but now that they see uh, the comments and reviews that are coming from ex-employees or current people who are working there that are very miserable, those are red flags. All of the above are red flags that you are needing some management training. So those are some things that you could certainly discuss with the leaders above you and say, you know, well, what is it that our world is going to look like if we don't do any? That's the other question I like to ask. What if you do nothing? You're going to get more of the same and you're going to continue to have and just calculate these costs. And when you really look at the correlation between doing some investment and developing your team versus doing nothing, uh, then you usually will come to the right conclusion. So another question here is how do you decide if the training should be in-person or virtual? I get a lot of that today. And uh, certainly since we came out of the pandemic, a lot more things are virtual today. I get that. But um, you know, let me first, before I answer the in-person or virtual, let's first talk about different types of training and works best, if you will, for certain types of industry sectors and work environments. So let's talk about some more of the fast-paced operational environments. Let's think about construction, oil and gas, energy, shipping, uh, logistics, transportation, trucking, uh, automotive service and repair, manufacturing. Right? Those are environments, first of all, that are not really going to lend themselves to the virtual space. Uh, it, they just aren't. Um, those are typically going to be more male-dominated. I can tell you that from my own experience, they are. Uh, you probably will see those uh, being greater than 70% uh, male in terms of employee population. You're going to need to have a training instructor that really has the credibility to connect with the team, period. Uh, if you bring in someone that truly does not have experience working in any of those types of industries, and you know they came from uh, working in like a hotel or something, you're going to fall flat. That That is not going to be the appropriate training instructor. You also need to be thinking about shorter segment training, like one day at a time max, or like two consecutive half days. You know, if you want to do something like a corporate retreat where you do, you know, multi-sessions, okay, you can do that. But what I will tell you, people that are in these fast-paced positions, it may be very challenging for you to do like three days away from the business. So I generally recommend you do shorter segment training with these groups. 
And then also you've got to think about the purpose of the training is to really upgrade their skills. And you've got to think about the size of the group that you're going to want to have together. You know, these are sometimes um, you know groups that may even be initially a little bit resistant to why we're doing this training. Similar to what I discussed in my part one episode when I was out in West Texas with uh, uh, an entire staff of all guys that worked uh, in you know a rough outdoor environment. You know, they came around, but I'm just saying um, these are groups of people that are not necessarily even recognizing that they really need the training, especially those have been around a while. Now, you may have even some leaders that have been managing for 15 years, but just because they've been managing 15 years doesn't necessarily mean they're very good at it. Uh, and if they never really had proper training, they've just been kind of moving along year after year and they've acquired some managerial skill and knowledge, yes, but they may not necessarily know how to be really good leaders. There's a difference, okay? Uh, leaders are those that others want to follow. Managers are those that typically feel like they have to order everybody around. And uh, usually that creates a lot of uh, lot of friction with staff. So you need to kind of think about your audience and uh, what size you really need to have of a group. A good size is maybe 15 to 20. Uh, but when you start getting upwards of, you know, really into like 30 people, that can get a little difficult. And what can happen is you have certain cliques that will sometimes try to grandstand in the training. And uh, that's why working in some smaller groups is generally better. If I have to go with a group of 30, I will, but um, senior leadership sets ground rules before we get started. Uh, but a good rule of thumb is to try to put maybe uh, maybe maximum 20 people in, uh, or if you add to 25, but 20 uh, is a really good number, 15 to 20. In more um, professional settings, these are traditionally what we call white collar or more office environments. It may be that uh, your folks are 100% remote. Um, all right, in that case, you have to then look at what's going to be best, in-person or virtual. Well, if everything is virtual for them, doing a training and bringing them all together could really pay dividends. I mean, it really could because they just don't get that kind of FaceTime. Uh, but of course, there's some travel expense for the company to bring everybody together. So, And that's usually where uh, there will be some pushback from leadership. If it's a fairly large team, that's a lot of travel expense. But you also have to look at uh, how relationships can really be built, maybe some conflicts that can be resolved just by getting people to work face-to-face -face instead of them just always staring through the computer screen. But nevertheless, if they are remote, and especially if you are really spread out globally, it probably would be um, a good strategy to go virtually. But do keep in mind when you're going to be scheduling virtual training, you really need to do shorter segments. And that also can increase your cost. Now, contrary to what uh, some people may think, they may think, oh, well, we'll just bring a trainer in and we'll do like a one-day training, get everybody together, and that will be less expensive than virtual. Not necessarily at all. The reason is that with screen fatigue, you really are going to have to limit your segments to like three and a half to four hours. If you're looking at like a 12 contact hour program, which generally would be about two days, that's six contact hours of instruction per day, then when you break that up into a virtual program, that's going to be over a number of different sessions. And so that means that the training instructor is having to block that particular day for you as a client. They may not be. And in my world, I could tell you, it would be unlikely that even if I did uh, like a morning training that's a three and a half or four hour, uh, like a Zoom type of training, I'm probably not going to book something the remainder of that day. That's probably going to be an office day. It's very difficult for you to try to book other work on that very same day. 
Um, and so uh, that's a facilitation day. So the more days that you have of instruction, the more cost that is going to add. So virtual is not always going to be less expensive. Less, yes, from the standpoint of training costs to get your people there, but for the actual instruction, a number of, of days of facilitation may actually be more expensive than if you flew the trainer in and got everybody in the same room. The other problem that you have to uh, really think about that you're going to encounter is when you stretch out your virtual training, let's say you're going to do four sessions. Okay, uh, that's over a series of several weeks. You're going to have about a 20% dropout factor. Um, for a manager to at least miss one of the four scheduled programs. They are going to have other conflicts that will come up, and so you just have to recognize that. Now, how do you find the right program? Well, a great starting point, just reach out to my contact page. You can go to rpchr.com or my other site is hr-investigations.com. So one of my consultants here at RPC would be happy to talk with you if you have the need, um, certainly, and see if we are the right fit for you. Uh, one of the certificate programs that we have for small to medium-sized companies that really focuses on developing core leadership competencies as well as teaching the do's and don'ts of the labor and employment laws. So you could certainly start with us and then uh, go from there. Now, what things do you need to consider when implementing a management training program? Okay, I get, we get this a lot. You know, when uh, you know one of my folks answers the phone and you know, they handle it, I'm overhearing it, it's like, okay, you know, how much does it cost? The answer is, it depends. <laughs> and that's usually what the response is going to be. So to provide pricing, there are a number of factors to really consider. And uh, we ask a lot of fact-finding questions. So the first question is really, how many people need to be trained? You know, how many leaders do you have? Are they frontline leaders? Are they mid-level? Or are they senior leaders? Or, you know, is this a small organization and senior, mid-level, and frontline will all be together? you know, in-person or virtual. If it's going to be, let's say, an in-person, can you get your entire group together in one session? So if we're going to do a one-day program that's six contact hours, as an example, and you have 25 leaders, can all 25 attend on Tuesday? Or no, we can't pull everybody out of the operation. We're going to need to divide the group. Okay. So then that means you're going to have two days of instruction. So that's going to increase cost. So you've got to really think about how many sessions are you going to have based on the headcount you have. Um, the days of instruction is generally what is going to drive the cost, okay? Um, will the instructor have to go to multiple locations to do that, to meet with different groups, or to just one location? Like one of our clients, we needed to go into Dallas, Houston, as well as San Antonio. Okay, so that's three different sessions three days of instruction, but the trainer must also incur travel expense to get from point A to point B to point C. All right. So you've got to think about what that looks like. Days of the week. Okay. You know, I have often gotten requests to do a training on a Wednesday, middle of the week. Let me explain how it works in training. If you want a one-day program on a Wednesday, you are probably going to pay a premium for booking just a one-day program on a Wednesday. Why? because it really restricts the training company's ability. Because let's face it, we train Monday through Friday. It's rare that we train on the weekend. We have, but it's um, you know probably less than 5% of our business is training weekends. But um, what that means is it would be very difficult to try to book work on a Monday or Tuesday, because if a training instructor finishes a training program, let's say in Kansas City, Tuesday afternoon wraps up, let's say 4.30 or 5, but they have to try to catch a flight from Kansas City to try to get the Boston for a Wednesday program, uh, that's going to be really tricky to try to make that happen. And we we typically would not take that. And the reason is that there are too many 
you know, interruptions that could happen with air travel and the instructor just may not physically be able to get to uh, the site on time. So keep in mind that if you ask us to book something on like a Wednesday or, you know, other training companies do the same, uh, there will be kind of a premium for wedging something right in the middle of the week that somewhat splits the week and prohibits the booking of some other work. The other thing also is if you book on a Friday, you've got to be very mindful. These days, a lot of employees like to take Friday. If you have weekend off folks, uh, you're going to have quite a few people that will be off Friday. And then invariably, you're going to have several dropouts of your management team that are just not going to attend, not unless you give them fair warning and well in advance. And I would suggest this, uh, like if you were going to do a two-day program that is like one of my clients would always do their training quarterly on Thursdays. Why? Because their leaders are there on Tuesdays and Wednesdays for their regular quarterly meetings, then they tack the one-day management program onto a Thursday. Now, they did it for one year where every quarter we came in to deliver one day of training and they went through a very comprehensive program with us. Uh, that was called a learning track. And then, you know, they knew that they were there for Thursday for training. Then everybody flew out Thursday night to go uh, back to their home locations. Um, and then some of them were off, you know, literally out of the office on uh, Fridays in a compressed work week. So just be mindful of the uh, sort of business cycle and schedules with your teams. And then uh, second or third shift, does your team really need to have training at odd times? I mean, we've trained people overseas in the Middle East where we were doing training at 7 a.m. Uh, because of the time change. So, uh, and we do that. We accommodate that. We've got clients in you know, like DOD contractors and people like that that work all over the globe. So uh, we can do that. You've got to think about also with your group, is it feasible for them to be in a one-day class or are you better off splitting that and doing half days? It's really entirely up to you and the operational tempo with your teams. But nevertheless, these are things that you need to be thinking about because when you look at the days of instruction and how many sessions it's going to take and dividing the group, all of those are things that the training company needs to know in order to give you pricing because more days of instruction, more sessions will change the cost. So let's talk about budget for a good training program. Uh, we're often asked that, well, how much does it cost? Again, first thing is you have to answer a lot of those other questions to you know reduce the number of variables here so that we can appropriately price it. But a good rule of thumb for small to medium sized organizations, um, you know, frontline to mid level training. So let's say um, you know a twelve contact hour class, which is typically a two day class, two full days, or like four half day sessions. You should budget somewhere between a thousand to fifteen hundred per manager. So if you have a team of 25 managers, you should budget between 25,000 to 37,500. Again, rough average though, because there are a lot of variables that could increase or decrease that cost. Like if you can't get all 25 in the same class, and then you're going to have to divide the teams into groups. That will add, again, different days uh, for instruction. And also if you were to want a recorded version of the training, okay, that's additional work for the company to do some recorded sessions that adds on to the cost. Will you be using some behavioral assessments? Like a lot of the programs that we do here at RPC, we include conflict management or we include some other behavioral assessments to teach leaders about their own behavioral styles. We use something called uh, the DISC. Uh, it's a um, behavioral styles inventory and it's very insightful and helps them to understand the way they communicate and behave and how to upgrade their skills to interact with others. And so is certainly those assessments, there are additional costs because those are additional tools that are added into the training. But this gives you a very, again, very, very rough estimate, but nevertheless, 
you you need to really think about that. Now, some of you, when I said probably twenty five to thirty seven thousand five hundred, probably gasped, right? Well, why? Because you may be thinking about some of the flyers that you get in your mail, like a one day seminar, you know, for one hundred and seventy nine dollars or things like that. That's really comparing apples and oranges. Those are uh, seminar companies that are promoting a very basic, what's called an off the shelf type of program. Uh, you do not know what the quality of the instructor will be for that program. You have no idea of their background. And they're really going to be providing a few hours of instruction. And then the other components of that is really about selling other kinds of products and books and just something that comes with attending a public program like that. So the actual walk away with valuable, tangible information that the leaders can apply. Now, I'm not bad-mouthing all seminars. I'm not suggesting that. But you know, there are quite a few of them out there that um, you know they will advertise for these very, very low prices. And the old saying, you do get what you pay for. When you're talking about a management training program where an instructor is going to be coming on site, you know who the instructor is going to be. You know the credibility that they have. You know they have the experience in facilitating with these types of groups, the credibility, the credentials. Um, and then you also know exactly what the program content is going to be. It's been tailored for your organization. And even um, you know the classroom activities will be unique to your particular type of industry. You see, that's a very, very different thing. That's like the difference of going to Walmart and buying drapes, panel drapes that are $20 versus you go to uh, a window treatment company that comes in and measures and creates a custom design uh, for your room. You see, very different things. They're both curtains, yes, but there's a very di very distinct difference as to the quality and what you're going to get from one versus the other. So let's say you invest perhaps 25000 in training for a team of 25 managers. Again, rough estimate, but let's just use this example. What do you think your cost of turnover is because you've had poor leadership? Hmm? You got to ask that. The cost of replacing an individual employee, that could range from like half of a percent to two times the employee's annual service, annual salary. That comes from Gallup. Replacing an employee, the cost can go between 75 and 200% of the employee's annual pay, according to monster.com. And according to Sherm, you need to really spend the equivalent of usually six to nine months of an employee's salary to find and then train their replacement. All right, so if you just take a look at that one Society for Human Resource Management statistic, calculate how much that is, right? And then for all the positions except for executives and physicians, the typical median cost of turnover is generally about 21% of an employee's annual salary. Right? So think about that. And then when you've got multiple scenarios that are like that, look at what your turnover is really, really costing you in relation to the management training program. And then also, what about the cost of impacting your service delivery from really disengaged employees who really don't give a darn? Well, if you can save two employees each of a $60,000 a year salary from quitting, you basically broke it even on the investment for the training, but you know, and more so than that. But more importantly, the investment in the management training program is really more about cost avoidance. You remember in the previous episode, I talked about the motorcycle helmet example with the motorcycle rider taking the risk. Look, if you avoid the cost of being sued by, you know, what I call putting the helmet on now and trading, then you avoid the cost of having to hire a labor attorney at about five fifty an hour, court costs, whatever settlement you may have to pay, and even if you have employer practices liability insurance coverage, chances are the deductible you're going to pay is at least seventy five to maybe one hundred and fifty k. 
And the average price tag of settling out of court today is about $75,000 per lawsuit. The defense cost could be astronomical, win or lose. Court awarded damages for employment-related lawsuits average today about $217,000 per claim. All right, so I just gave you some rough numbers there. But obviously, when you go back and you look at the range of what I've shared with you, just ballpark, uh, when you're thinking about a good management program, somewhere between 1000 to 1500 per person, that's a pretty good ballpark estimate of what you're going to pay. So obviously, if you have a smaller organization, you only have 10 managers, then yes, you're looking at somewhere around ten to 15000 If you're a larger uh, program, yes, you have more people to train, there are more materials, um, so on and so forth. So the cost uh, goes, does go up a little bit. And remember, the more instruction, the more more days of instruction, uh, the more that that adds on to the cost. So in summary, and thinking back on uh, what I just said, you need to remember that executives and business owners, they make decisions that generate a return on investment called an ROI. However, in part one, you know, my episode, the challenge with the training program investment and the, the tricky part with executives is that training, like management training, is much more intangible. That's very different than buying a tangible, shiny new company truck. You know, if you spend 35 grand on the truck, they know what they've gotten for that money. But you can measure the return on investment for investing in management training. You just need to use your own organization's metrics. If you saw, let's say, a 30% reduction in employee turnover in a year, or a 35% reduction in unscheduled absenteeism, think about it. How much could a positive impact be, right? That can be significant. You know, it may be the twenty-five thousand, just as a rough average that you invested in your management training. That is more than paid for itself. So, if you're struggling with this challenging issue of knowing that you need to implement training, you know, and you know your managers need the do's and don'ts, then you know, just reach out. You know where to find us. You know, uh, me particularly at rpchr.com, or my other site is hr-investigations.com. And uh, here, we've got a number of different programs. They range in length from six contact hours, like for a one-day program, to even 24 contact hours. Um, one of my uh, larger clients that I worked with for several years uh, on their management development initiative, we would meet with them on a quarterly basis, as I said, to tie in with their regular meetings. So they stretched the training out throughout the year. And then uh, we went back again and trained another level of leadership inside the organization. So there are a lot of different variations to how this can be done, but you know where to find me. My email, if you want to reach out to me directly, is natalie at rpchr.com. Well, that is a wrap for today's show. And I look forward to seeing you back on the next HR Investigations podcast. Until next time, see ya. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Investigations podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share the show with any colleagues who will benefit from our strategies and solutions. For free bonus resources, simply visit hr-investigations.com. And remember, if you'd like some help with improving your investigative skills, or if your organization is in need of an external investigator to help with the case, please get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.